In today's episode, we flip the script and take you onto the other side of the coin where we go deeper on some of the mistakes we made during our journey at Microbe Formulas and Suckle Biosciences that hopefully can bring you greater wisdom on your own journey. You are listening to the Fifth Hammer Growth Podcast, where we help you find harmony and imperfection as you journey towards success in life and in business. So I got a mistake Dave made. No, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> that's not, so, what, that's no, not what this is about. It right? is. The, but I, I was actually thinking this morning, I want to know if there are mistakes that you think I made that we didn't talk about, or if there are things that you never told me, because I know there are conversations, you know, I can feel it, dude. I've got into my intuition is strong. I know. And that's why I'll sort of come at like and try to get it out of people. But like, I was thinking that would be cool to hear if there's a mistake you thought I made. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's interesting because the concept, the word mistake is such a negative connotation context, right? Yeah. But but everybody, everybody understands that word, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't, I don't ever, like, honestly, I, I joked and said, well, I didn't make any mistakes. And I, I honestly believe that mm-hmm. because we are the sum existence of who we are, right? And I, that doesn't mean that we have to look back and, and, and be pulled down in the mire of what our mistakes are. Yeah. But, but we still are who we are. We're the sum of our existence. I am today because of all the mistakes I've made. So I don't look at, I don't look at mistakes and I want to make this clear as we go through this concept is I don't look at mistakes as bad or, you know, you know, I, I look at them as lessons and challenges and struggles. And, yeah. you know, um, I love, there's this, I love the concept of the refiner's fire, Right. Um, when, when somebody is working with metal, um, pure metal, like, uh, uh, silver or, and, and they, they're, they're using it and it's in the fire. The only way they know that it's refined is when they can begin to see their reflection in it. Hmm. Right. That fire though, is the challenges, the mistakes, the struggles, the trials. And so as we talk through this, I want to make sure that we understand and that, and that everybody out there understands that mistakes happen. I mean, when fit hits the shan, you're the one in the middle of it. And you've got to be able to understand and know, okay, how do I move through this? And that it's okay. Yeah. It, it, it's okay. Yeah. Ben, ben Hardy wrote a, a really good book on this called The Gap and the Gain. Yeah. And I know there's been a lot talked about it, but it's, it's basically just looking at mistakes as a gain. Yeah. It's a net positive. You it know, is. as long as you learn from it, as long as you don't let the shame from the mistake like bury you or say, you know, make you feel like you're bad. As long as you don't feel like you're traveling through the artex, <laughs> right? The swamp of sadness. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? And right. that your artex being sucked in. Oh, I'm real good at being in the swamp of sadness. <laughs> Dude, like I can, I can sit in there all day and it's not good. Okay. If anybody heard that knows the, knows the, uh, the reference to it, put it in the comments because I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. You'll Pop win with. a free hammer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so with that kind of, with that painting that picture, um, yeah, let's go through mistakes. Yeah. What's, I mean, I have a few, but what, I mean, what comes to mind? You guys came with lists, man. I'm like, you're, you're, I love, I love the fact. Yeah. I just want to get better at that. I uh, being a little more organized, but like, I've got five, I mean, I've got a thousand, but 
five that were really top of mind for me. Um, one is like more tactical and uh, marketing wise. And the rest are kind of like, I think more leadership communication mistakes. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I th- and I'll just go through them real quick. Oh, yeah. Discounts on the D to C side. Okay. I think we're a mistake. I used to believe, I, I still believe in the formula, but I used to believe that in the buyer frequency part of the formula, that discounts were the way to drive up buyer frequency. Now, to some degree, that is true. You do one of the ways. Yeah. And what yeah. I mean is, I believed I could engineer buying behavior simply by getting people to buy more. Right. The more they buy, the more they're going to buy. And that's true. It does. It works. It drives up LTV. But it caused way too many problems across the organization. And yeah. at the end of the day, especially, especially in that scenario, when you have two competing brands, absolutely. When yeah. you have two competing brands, with some channels, if or they're channels, not brands, they're channels, two right? competing for brands whatever channels, business situation. And yeah. one is discounted and the other one's like, what the hell? Yeah. Right. Right. Which is, and that's the conflict just so it's, we, people understand the, yep. the construct of and that. That's what I mean by that. And then, um, Byron Sharp wrote a book called, uh, how brands grow. And he sort of validates some of this in there at the end of the day, I don't believe, and we didn't and why, why I keep saying, I don't believe, cause we didn't really run any real complicated studies on this. Um, this is still kind of a gut feeling. I don't believe at the end of the day, it really drove tangible revenue increases long-term. I think while it did drive up buyer frequency and LTV in the moment, in the moment and in a short window, long-term, I think we just borrowed against future revenue because what we saw from a pattern of, of our customers, especially in the DTC side is they would, there were a number of, 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 large subset of them um, that would wait for the sell Absolutely. and then buy, buy bulk in order to ensure that they had product over the course of the next sell. Yeah. And, and we saw that on a regular basis yep. over and over and over. People would, um, would come in and buy and stock up on the sell so that when the next sell came, they would buy again. Yep. Yeah. So I'm not saying discounts shouldn't be done. Right. I still believe in them, but I think they should be more held in your pocket as a last ditch effort to hit your forecast, maybe at the end of the month or at the end of a quarter. Well, and I think it also is a testament to like channel strategy, yeah. right? whether you have competing brands or products or channels, right? Selling similar products or the same products, like being conscious of, of how one channel's strategy is going to affect the other, right? Cause yeah. we were just running and gunning. Yeah. Well, and I think that goes to my mistake that there's, I, I came up with a couple, um, and, and it wasn't the fact that we had competing brands. It was how we viewed the competing brands, because I think that, so it's for everybody listening. Um, we're talking specifically about a micro formulas brand, which was our D to C and Cellcore Biosciences, which was our um, our wholesale practitioner brand, right? Our healthcare practitioner brand. And early on, we didn't build a symbiotic relationship between those two brands. We kept them divided. And in some cases, we tried to hide both from each other and realizing that's probably the biggest mistake we made as a company yeah. mm-hmm. is not establishing and creating a symbiotic from the, from the onset. 
symbiotic relationship between those two brands. We came up with a brilliant, Dave came up with a brilliant strategy on how we could do that by following the customer journey and the, um, the, the journey of awareness. But it, at that point, it was too late. It was too late that we, didn't, we couldn't get buy-in from, which, which goes into one of my mistakes is I gave up. There was a point where we, we were, the brands were kind of butting heads. We couldn't really figure out how to make it work. And we were told as the, as the direct consumer marketing arm, we were told to just kind of stop and just hold court and we'll figure it out. Well, at that point, I canceled my one-to-ones. I left my team hanging. We stopped really forecasting and trying to do anything. And it was through that moment of giving up, I ultimately, and a lot and a lot of like conversations and hypothesis and whiteboarding, I came up with that unified ascension ladder. But I feel like if I would have leaned in sooner, I could have maybe, you know, like when we saw Cellcore taken off. When Cellcore started to take off, I immediately... Um, try to position against it because I believed that the direct consumer arm was what was, what should be, you know, well, at the time built. it was, yeah. I mean, it was interesting and, and, and this is, it was an interesting mix because it went from, you know, our, our D to C was 80, 20 to our, our HCP. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then it was 60, 40, and then it was 50, 50. Yeah. And then it flipped. Yeah. And the problem was, is that within the company and, and just so everybody realizes the D to C was extremely profitable in the sense that it helped to fund the HCP brand. Yeah. Right. We knew long-term that the establishment of a solid healthcare practitioner brand and product line and sales channel was going to be the longevity of the company. Yeah. We knew that going in, but we didn't create that relationship between the two brands early on that allowed us to really champion both at the same time. And, it, it, and to your point, internally, it created conflict inside the company yeah. between our sales team and our marketing team. Because, and that was even the division there is we created this division in the company that, oh, marketing is microbin, sales team is yeah. cell core. And, yeah. and we didn't bring that together in a way um, that allowed collaboration and it, and it goes to, and that's, that's honestly, that's when, that's when Spencer brought me the five dysfunctions of a team book. I mean, when we were going through those challenges, that's when that book hit my desk and I was like, oh, shiz, we've already gotten there. Yeah. Spencer and I were rapping on that for months, even before that, because yeah. we were trying to figure out how to build an executive team and really build the team up. And, yeah. And, yeah. but that's probably as we look at it, it's, it's the biggest mistake. And it's not a mistake that's just normal, like just to us. There's a lot of people that have been trying to figure that out in a lot of different areas. Well, the, the sales versus marketing, marketing dilemma is not new. No. Yeah. That's, a, yeah. that's a conundrum that well, almost every organization faces. Yeah. And yeah. Companies, companies have multiple brands of the same product being sold in multiple channels. Right. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, and they're still conflict. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're going to go into a brick and mortar retail scenario and you want to hit Walmart and you take a product into Walmart, you cannot take that same freaking product into target, right? They, they don't want it. So what do they do? They create a whole different brand to support it. Same formula. It's the whole thing. It's, mm -hmm. and it's, it's playing to this concept of competition between brands and, and that's, and that's, and it's challenging. 
And I think that internally in our company, because our channel was all online, it amplified that. And, and then we internally as a company didn't have a good solution for it. Well, and it goes to what Spencer said about channel strategy. You know, I, as long as I've been doing this, I still at that time believed that direct consumer was a business model. So when, when our HCP wholesale channel started taking off, I was thinking, we're not a wholesale company. And if I would have thought of it more as channels. Not a business model. Yeah. yeah. And not a business model, I wouldn't have been so against it. You know, and like maybe we would have dif differentiated the products sooner, which would have helped to differentiate the brands. But yeah, they're just channels, man. Yeah. And at that point, I wouldn't have been an advocate for the D to, for the D to C side. It would just been a channel. I would have collaborated with sales earlier, which is another one of my mistakes. I didn't collaborate across the chain enough. Yeah. You know, there were a couple of individuals that I just didn't get along with and or didn't like working with. And I didn't try to like working with them, you know. So I don't know if we want to just keep, keep ping pong. Well, that's one that I've reflected on for me is... Um, I, my, my nature is to avoid confrontation. And, uh, but there were, there were moments where I think I recognize that it's invaluable and needed. That's why right? he never seems pissed to you. I know. I know. That's why I can come in late and Spencer's like, okay, we're good. We'll roll. But really in his head, he just roundhoused you like five times. <laughs> I wish that'd be kind of fun in my head. But. <laughs> um, but no, so there, to me, there's this, this dichotomy of like being able to intro, introduce tension or recognize when it arises and sit in it, but also differentiate between healthy conflict and unhealthy conflict. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I gleaned from five dysfunctions of a team, I'm pretty sure it was from there, is just that, you know, a sign of a dysfunctional team is a team that does not debate. Yeah, it was from there. Right? Yeah. And, and so a team that is just yes, man right? That turns their or, or agrees and then either doesn't support or just in, in a sense they've given up. Yeah. Right. And I don't think we had that challenge. We debated. Openly. Um, and sometimes, but, but too much at sometimes too. Right. And I think that's, that's where I gave up at times was in, uh, um, because we did have both healthy and unhealthy conflict. I think I failed to really sit in it. Sometimes I would try to rein it in and say, like, guys, let's like let's take this offline or let's take this in a different meeting when it was actually a moment we needed it. Yeah. yeah. And then other moments when it wasn't needed, I kind of just let it run amok. And um yeah, I, I, that's just something that I feel like I I am learning from and could have done better at. Well, and that's an inter interesting perspective too, because um as the CEO for for the years that I was in that seat, um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of challenges that came to the table that, that needed debate. Right. And there were some that came to the table that didn't need debate, but yet I was still debating, you know, there were some of those and that's where, and I think that was as a leader, some of my biggest mistakes that I made is sometimes, and I, and I did this really well, but there were moments and times where I didn't let go when it didn't matter. Right. And I think that that's, I think that's the challenge and, and, and mistakes that every leader could make, but there's some specific ones where I was so, and, and, and you guys know, my nature is like, I'll, 
I'll, I'll work things out in my head and I'll get to the point where I have a resolution. And Spencer's told me this several times. It's like, dude, you're five steps ahead of people and you have to wait for us to catch up sometimes. Yeah. Or, and, and then, and then I go into this manipulation mode. Not, I mean, not like full on, but I, I, I start playing the, the, the game of how do I craft people? So I call you the chess master. Yeah. Okay. Chess. That's better. Yeah. Um, that's strategy. How do I craft people to get to, to get to where I am so I, they can catch up. And, yeah. and when there is conflict or when there is resistance to that, in my mind, that's when, that's when the unhealthy conflict came in. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And yeah. that's when I was, that's when I was like, and there are certain, Why don't you just get it? <laughs> yeah. You know, and there's certain individuals that I knew that I could just browbeat into getting there. And there's other individuals that I knew that I had to massage and manipulate and maneuver and play chess with. Right. And it was the, it was when there was resistance and I couldn't get the point across, even if it didn't matter. That's when I freaking dug in mm -hmm. and, and that's not, and that's not, that's the, that's a flaw in my own personality and character that I, that I saw come out a couple of times. And that was probably one of my biggest mistakes as a leader of those moments. And I had some conversations recently about those moments with individuals and, um, and the impact that I was not aware of that those moments had. Hmm. And it made me sad because that wasn't my intent or my heart as, as a leader. Are you open yeah. to giving an, an example? No, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. Okay. Um, only because I don't want to bring that into, I don't want to, I don't want to open that up for, okay. for that's, the individuals that I've talked to. That's about. fair. Yeah. But it's it, but, and, and you guys can probably like, Oh yeah, I, I got like, you probably have five examples you can <laughs> when I did this. Um, and it was, it was really, it was really kind of therapeutic to be able to be on the other side of that and hear that perspective. Cause I didn't have that at the time. Right. And that's never my intent to alienate or isolate or, or feel like, or, or to, to, to present feelings of terror of that I'm tearing down in order to get my point across. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I was trying to think I, yeah, I don't know. Okay. I, I, I I've, there were times where, you know, I, I, in the moment I thought maybe you were doing the wrong thing, but looking back, I think you, I don't know. It all makes oh. sense. I think at the end of the day, we all just try to do the best we have yeah, with what, what we, we have can. in the moment, yeah. right? And that's yep. where the mindset of failing forward of mistakes aren't really bad if you learn from them, right? Can right. stem from. But yep. one that I've reflected on a little bit is um, moving away from the mantra of like um, slow to hire, quick to fire. Yeah. And into the mantra of hire fast, fire, fire faster, promote fastest. And Gary Vee is a, a big proponent of that. And I think we learned how to hire fast and effectively, right? I think we were good at that. Um, and I think we promoted fastest, but we still fired slowly. Um, I don't think, w at least for me, for me, I don't, think, I don't think I ever got into the fire fast and, and properly, right? Like yeah. there were moments where we fired fast and maybe improperly but there were a lot of moments where we didn't fire fast enough that I've got that down. I wish I would have, uh, I'm not wish, but a, a mistake I feel like I made is I coached too long. And that's a disservice to the people yeah. as much as it is to the company. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The challenge with that is we had this entire 
our culture was was centered around people first and we championed the idea of the right people in the right seat right we moved people around because we felt they were the right people and even when we knew that they were wrong we still tried to find the right in them and that's and 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 that's a mistake and to your point that's kind of how that's what i'm trying to do is that's how that happened Right, right, right. That's the source. That's yeah. the source of that was the root of of why we did that. And there were some really toxic scenarios that we could have avoided if we would have fired faster. Well, and you guys know this. I have, and and I don't know if I ever fire faster. To be honest with you, I'm still working out what that <laughs> means in my head. Yeah, and it's not because I'm not like good at firing. I, you guys know my journey with this. I used to yeah. fire too fast. Yeah, right. And I had a mentor go, "What are you doing?" And I was like, they're not doing their job. We got to find somebody who will. And he's like, have you helped them understand how to do the job? Have you set clear expectations? Do you have a scorecard? Like, do you meet with them? And I'd be like, no, I hired them to do the job. They should know what they're, what they're doing. And he'd be like, it doesn't work like that. If you hired them and they're not doing the job, that's on you, man. And I took, and that's just one man's opinion, right? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. my, but I took that clear to the other end of the spectrum. And I found out I love coaching and mentoring people. And I would, if I hired somebody and they weren't really getting it, I would spend all my time making sure that they could get it. But w- the mistake I, I've made is I haven't got really good at holding people accountable. It's through the accountability that you get to the point where the person, you don't even need to fire them. They just know. Hmm. If the accountability is done right and consistently, you both get to a point where you're like, this isn't working, is it? No. And they know it's there. You don't even have to like surprise them and and fire them that way. It could just kind of, kind of becomes mutual. Now, I, I, don't, I know that's not like every case, but that's what I, I wish. Now, going forward, one of, the, one of the mistakes I made was that, and I want to get better at holding people accountable. Wow. What else? I think another one that I focused on um, as I thought through this quite a bit was at times – we over communicated. Hmm. Um, we created this culture inside our company that was that was extreme. I tried to that was extremely open. I mean, you guys know the door was always open. That concept of leading up and down the chain of command from extreme ownership was a big part of, I think, one of our successes. But at times, I think we over communicated, and because we over communicated, we set false expectations. And that was the mistake mm, Yeah, is over communicating and setting false expectations. Not we yeah. can, you can over communicate and set proper expectations, but we over communicated and set false expectations. Yeah. Do you think some of that might've been the timing of the communication? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of things that could have gone into that, yeah, yeah. but it was the idea of setting the false expectations because of our over communication. We didn't manage that well enough. We could have held back a little bit and made sure we had exactly everything that was in line before we started communicating. We could have communicated and then set the expectation that guys, these are still ideas, right? These are still things we're thinking of and concepts we're working on rather than this is what we're doing. And it goes to the same thing that you've said over and over and over. People look at you as a, through a microscope and hear you as a, through a megaphone. Yeah. Right. And, and when you are that open in your communications to your team members, they're going to look at every freaking thing you do and say and 
and, and it's the law. It's the Bible. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so when you don't, when you don't live up to that or when something changes and, and I do this with my wife all the time, it's like, Oh, I had this thought. And then I marinated that idea and that idea has transformed into something else, but I don't tell her the process of how I got from a to Z in that, in that scenario. And her expectation is still set at a, and now I'm over here at Z. Yeah. And that's where the conflict comes into play is because Things change. And, and all frustration stems from unmet expectations. And all frustration <laughs> stems from unmet expectations. Yeah, that's a, I remember you, you, you would say that. And I started saying that, like, after I adopted that from you. That's, that was such a helpful mantra. As I've thought through that, though, and because I, I, I've come to the conclusion that a lot of that was from the inexperience of growing and leading a company that fast. You get excited, you know, and, and I, and, and you, sh- and you want to feel, you want people to feel included. You want to, you want to raise shared belief. So you, and you're really good at this, like raising belief because it, you know, as we've been on calls this week, you can just see people, there were two or three times like, oh, I just got goosebumps because you're just, and they just feel the energy, you know, but as you're doing that, you're like you said, you're processing out loud and people like your employees take that as gospel. And this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. Uh, but there are a couple instances where I think you were just trying you and and I just think of you specifically because you're sitting here. But, um, you know, you you want people to be bought in and you want them to feel the excitement and the emotion with you. And, you know, it's tough, especially when you're growing fast. Do you realize we went five to 50 million in like 18 months, basically? Dude, seriously, five to 15 million in 18 months, five to 50 in 18 months. I lost half my hair. When I look <laughs> back on that, that's, that's literally like going warp speed and trying to hang on. Like you're going to look ugly when, have you ever seen somebody go warp, like not warp speed because that's the roller coaster, sign, but no, like a, a jet, somebody in a jet going like Mach seven or whatever. They just literally go ah, and they pass out. <laughs> well, and it's the idea. I mean, go back to, go back to one of Ben Harding's books is his, his new one that's out as two X's. Uh, 10x is easier than 2x. We had 10x on our freaking wall. Yeah. Right. I actually took a picture of that and sent him to him. He's like, no way. It was, it, it, we have that, that was our mentality. And we could only, because we're going so fast, we could only focus on 10x activities. Hmm. I mean, we own, we own, and we were building the plane while mm-hmm. we were flying it. And that was also a big part of the challenges we had is that we didn't take time to really truly embrace those four hammers. Yeah. Right. We didn't, we didn't in the early stages take time to, to really embrace the four hammers to be able to allow us to have the strength and momentum, which ties me to the third mistake I think I made early on. I've said this is I didn't have the right CFO in place from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Because our financial structure got to the point where we, we had issues with it. Um, The numbers were telling the story, but it was, you had to, it was all, it was jacked. It was so messed up. And we had to redo the whole chart of accounts like two years, three years into the company. Yeah. It was, the, 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 no, it, <laughs> how many hours did we sit well, down? And, and, and think about this. It yeah. was so messed up that we actually, when we went to position the company for an acquisition and, and, and for a sell, they only took two years of our financials. Yeah. They took the last two years of our financials and disregarded the first two years. That's how messed up they were. Yeah. And in my mind, at that point, inexperience of growing a company this fast, and um, it, and Casey's a perfect example of in in his writings as far as 
the uh, underdog CEO and yeah. the challenges you're faced with, which in, if anybody wants to understand and truly dig into these concepts, Casey is an amazing, amazing guy. So it's Google underdog CEO. Um, but he talks about the ideas of if, when, when you're stepping into this role for the first time and you have that inexperience of growing a company this fast, you do make mistakes. Oh, and, yeah. and that was probably one of the biggest ones because at the point we were cash flowing so much that those financial mistakes were hidden. Right, right, right. We were able to get away with those, right? Yeah. Because of the success that we were having. Yeah, cash, cash yeah. solves a lot of problems that you don't even know exist. Yeah. Because, and, and we've seen it in other ventures as we've moved away from there when the company's not cash flowing, how all of a sudden all of that foundation is so important to be able to realize, okay, let's watch cash flow on a weekly basis. Let's understand what our P&Ls are. Where's our spend? Where's our burn? Where's our where's our, our, our drain and, yeah. and what do we need to do to be able to solve those? We didn't have those problems early on. No. Yeah, I, I would have, it, it wasn't one of my, on my list of a, th a thousand mistakes was um, not doing a regular job of truly forecasting. Some of that was out of my hands, but we would sort of forecast using that formula, but there wasn't really a forecast. It was more like target setting, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I would have loved and we started to get into it a little bit. Yeah. And then. Well, we did. We did in our own way. Right? Yeah. We, we forecasted in our own way because we understood the trajectory and where things were going. So yeah. we were prepared for it. We, 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 we got to the point where manufacturing was dialed from a forecasting standpoint because we had enough cash to just buy fucking everything we could. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we weren't in a just-in-time manufacturing structure. We weren't in those operation modes that companies have to get into to be able to manage cash and inventory and balance that in a way that works because we didn't have the right CFO early on to be able to set the stage for that. Yeah. Right. What you got? Hmm. That's good to reflect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Any other big ones, anything else that like stands out? Like, I, I think those I mean, are my three. Yeah, there's tons of, of other things, but I think those are the big ones, man. And I think yeah. I think that people need to realize and understand that um, success in a company as you're growing as fast as we did is is infectious, right? It was easy in my mind. It was easy to do the things we did because of the success we were having, right? Um, in a company that's not growing that fast, these mistakes become more important to be aware of. Right. Because they have significant impact to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. in the, in, and, and what I mean by bottom line, it's just not the financial side, but from the financials, from the company culture, from your marketing efforts. I mean, they hit everything. And so I think the reason why I like the reflection that we've had over the last several days as we've been thinking through this is because there's going to be somebody out there that is in the middle of, of a challenge and maybe these mistakes can help them move forward. I know they've helped me mm -hmm. realize the importance of communication, setting proper expectation, realize the importance of brand um, cooperation and, and channel understanding and realizing the importance of your financial package and how do you build a financial package that can 
truly tell the story of your company. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that rings true through a lot of this for me is just again, like truth experienced is more impactful than truth told. If you, we hadn't experienced that through microbe, like financials probably wouldn't matter to you because there were other people already asking for P and L's and telling us like we should pay attention more. And we kind of disregarded that, you know, it was truth told to us that we didn't really listen to. And that finally we eventually did. And that now looking back on, we could have said, oh, we should have done that sooner or earlier. Right. And, and so part of me is like, hopefully like those that are listening, we're telling you some truths and we know you're not going to listen to all of it right? because you have to experience it to really like embrace it into the fibers of your being. But if we as human beings can get better at listening to truth that is told to us or lived through other people's experiences, I think that unlocks a level of growth that we don't have to experience it all for ourselves. Well, I love Socrates said, and this is one of the quotes that my mom told me when I was a teenager, dumb teenager, <laughs> um, any fool can learn from his own mistakes, but it takes a wise man to learn from the mistakes of others. Hmm. Right. And so to counter the, what, what you just said is, yeah. is, is be wise, man, take the experience of others and try to apply them. That's, I mean, that's the importance of why we're doing this. Yep. Right. So we appreciate it. <laughs>